to create this high. Because like I said, we actually we actually we a lot. I want you to run down the runway. I want you to run, jump off one leg. I want you to run and jump in the air and catch this football. Oh, I want you to change direction. I want you to run and change direction, which is just collisions. You just, just you know, bing, bing, bing. It's, it's collisions. So, but once again, if we never show them how to set these things up, how can we expect them to manage these things? That was a Darian Bar, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to mention a really cool item that is available now from our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com, in their store. That item is Exogen Premium Wearable Resistance. Exogen is a series of tight-fitting sleeves along with uniquely shaped fusiform weights that strap directly onto those sleeves. So what I mean is you can have shin sleeves, arm sleeves, shorts, and a vest, and you can strap these uniquely fusiform-shaped weights. They're light in nature, 100, 200 grams, that strap on in a way that allows you not only to resist movement very specifically, but also add fine-tuned elements of rotation to that resistance. So this is the next level of wearable resistance. You may have heard this from back long ago on the show, Hank Kreienhoff talking about it, to recently Chris Corfis, sprint coach, talking about it. This is the next level in premium wearable resistance. I've used it myself. I love it. I love not only the way it feels and the way you feel form and technique change. It's like combining technique with power. And so often we just think about weighted vests as just pure force, pure downward gravity loaded resistance. This is the ultimate combination of technique with power, and it shows up in things like Chris Corfis being able to take time off an athlete's 10-meter fly by putting the sleeves just on one side of the body, an ipsilateral resistance. We're using the body's own systems, fine-tuning it, and that's what this does. It allows you as the coach or an athlete to create, explore, and fine-tune the way that the resistance is rotationally impacting the body. This is next-level stuff, and I know you'll love it. So you can check that out in the Simply Faster store. Head on over to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com, and get your exogen gear today. Welcome to another show. Thanks for being here. One topic that's pretty common and has been in sports performance for at least a decade is the idea of only being able to accelerate what you can decelerate. The ideas of absorbing force, putting on the brakes. I think it's really helpful to engage these ideas and get outside uh, just the idea of concentric muscle power and, and pushing muscle power and the things that are a little bit more evident and perhaps that wonder at max uh, style of force production and getting more into eccentric strength and the way the body works to absorb force and work with gravity. But if we move outwards, even another layer from the absorbing and eccentric, we now get into the idea of redirecting. And when we look at sport and movement and athletes, it's actually more about redirecting forces than it is accelerating and decelerating something. Yes, we need muscular power and strength, but if we actually look at the fluid movement on field, we're going to see redirections. And many top experts in speed training are now putting less of an emphasis on deceleration and more on change of direction ability. So we can take change of direction into much more than just uh, running and, and cutting on the field. Uh, we can look at it in jumping, throwing, Pretty much any sports skill an athlete does, we can see this conservation of energy. And uh, with that conservation of energy, one guest who I'm really excited to have on, again, as he's been on the show many times, is sport movement expert Adarian Barr. Adarian has been my primary mentor in the world of sport movement and biomechanics. I spent years uh, mentoring under him back when I was in the Bay Area in California. And Adarian has many years of coaching experience on the college, high school, club, and private level of track and field, as well as in private sports training. He spends a lot of time uh, lecturing and doing movement clinics around the country. And so on today's show, Adarian is going to talk about uh, change of direction concepts in sport from the perspective of collisions. How do we set up the collision? How do we manage the collision? And he's going to talk about this on a variety of levels. We're going to get into throwing, javelin throwing, long jumping, changes of direction, and a whole lot more. And we'll finish off the talk with how uh, some of these collision concepts can apply directly and distinctly to the foot and then sprinting from a timing and lever-based perspective. So this really, in a nutshell, is a show that I think can really redefine uh, how we categorize plyometrics and what we're looking to get out of them. Are we looking to get pure strength and absorption out, or are we looking to improve an athlete's quality of managing collisions? And uh, you'll see through the show that those two are not 
always and maybe even not often the exact same thing as um, just for what I mentioned with the whole uh, redirecting of momentum concepts. Just a couple things before we start the show. One, uh, Darian does talk about uh, a class two lever towards the end of the show. I always like to cover any definitions you all might not be familiar with. And so we talk about the foot and ankle. Uh, class two lever, uh, the foot working as a class two lever is when the ball of the foot is the fulcrum. Basically, it's when you're operating off the ball of the foot and the knee's coming forward and the heel is coming up. A class one lever is when the shin is coming forward and running or jumping and the heel is staying down. So it's kind of like a dorsiflexion stretch type mechanism. So class two ball of the foot, class one uh, heel stays down. And you'll hear that towards the end of the show. Last thing before we get started is check out the show notes for the show on justflysports.com. Uh, some of the examples that Darian talks about have videos that relate to that. So you can, it, this stuff can be complex. So a lot of times it's helpful to put your eyes on the example visually that Darian is talking about. That's all I have for uh, some of those last notes. I know I've been speaking a little bit. So let's get on to the show, uh, episode 257 on collision management with Adarian Barr. Adarian, it's awesome to have you back on the show. Maybe I could start with this. Is what do you think about like a, a landing, like training landings, anything that has to do with that? What's, what's your thought of, of training the ability to, um, you could say, absorb force, but when we well, go about the art well, of landing? <laughs> well, I shouldn't like say, say that. You know, when people, when people talk absorb force, I just think, magic, how about magic collision? You know, I'm not trying to absorb this. I want I want to manage it so I can do something with it. And it's different types of ways to manage based on what's the next thing going to happen. You know, am I am I am I going to stop right here? Am I going to take another step? Am I trying to jump back up? What is the next thing happening is going to, you know, am I trying to change direction? So what's going to happen to allow me to manage the situation to get the next thing that I'm looking for? And, and in, in this sport world, it, you know, like as well as on, on Jake's podcast, in this sport world, there's very little times where you're going to come to an abrupt halt on a landing it is, mm-hmm. it's, it's not happening you know so i don't I, I don't understand why we would practice something like a snap down which is an abrupt halt you know to me that's an abrupt halt i'm, I'm not against it like i said if you want to do it do it but i don't understand it because that's not happening you know even when we see the parkour guys or the guy that jumped off the you know there's another pretty good video out there of a kid doing a backflip off a, off, a, off a roof into the sand you know and what do you do you hit the sand and kept on moving Mm-hmm. He didn't stick. He kept, you know, next to the kids walking away, he's so hyped. But if you also, if you watch how he rotated, he rotated in a way, it wasn't a direct impact into the ground, you know? So the collision was, was managed. Or you see guys, parkour guys, what do they do? Hit the ground, they roll. So, so we see these things where these collisions are being extended. They're not, they're, they're not abrupt halt type things. So that's why I don't like the word absorb because I'm thinking like, we're going to take this energy and redirect it and put it somewhere, you know? And, and if I can extend it, just like in a car crash, if I can extend it, the better. And in some situations, you're not going fast enough to have a long extension where a short extension works. But in other situations, you need a long extension. You know, um, I was watching the video of, of Jonathan Everson, he triple jumped 1843. You know, man, he was so low to the ground. I mean, he was really extending those collisions mm-hmm. because you go, whoa. And then you watch a video of Christian Taylor jump, you know, 18 meters, and, and it's not much of a drop, you know, but there's a big difference between 18 meters and 1843, mm-hmm. you know, so so that becomes a thing, but we're taught not to manage these collisions, we're taught to absorb, and that's, that's where I, I, I just say, instead of absorbing, I want to manage this thing, you know, and if you are absorbing, guess what, you better be strong, at that, you know, and that's why yeah. I say the arguments about stuff, nobody's wrong, if you are practicing to absorb collisions, you better be strong. I feel, if you're not practicing absorb collisions, you don't have to be as strong. I feel like with all the the drop and stick the landings and all that stuff, and and I'll just throw snap downs out the window. Maybe we can talk about that later. But just if I'm just saying do depth drops, do landing, try to be quiet when you land. I feel like all that stuff. It's not really training landing. It's training, like you said, it's training force. That's actually strength training more than it is, in my opinion. That's more strength training than it is true landing training. I look at um like. I think uh, Ben Patrick, uh, knees over toes guy, was the first person who I had heard this from is the idea of just like watching how dunkers will dunk and then how do they come off the rim and land. And yeah. they don't, they never like stick it like a, like a, uh, I think he was talking more about how a lot of them will land on one leg and then there's that little well, bounce yeah. or whatever. But it's still like, there's still a lot of force, but there's also like a subtle kind of redirection of that. It's like a little bounce on, you know, hop, little bounce, hop off one leg or, Maybe you do land on two, but you never, they don't stick it. They always kind of keep moving. And it's just a natural yeah, yeah. thing to do that. Well, even if you look at Simone Biles, her latest 
feet in gymnastics. Mm-hmm. She didn't stick there. She couldn't stick there. That and she wants yeah. to stick it. But that thing has so much pop to it <laughs> that what? She hit and she took another step back. You know, uh, that's how much juice was in that. I mean, because it, it was rotational. The rotation was so, it was so much. Oh, when yeah. she hit the ground, boom, she couldn't, she couldn't stick that landing, you know. And, and, and other times when they do stick landings, what they take away, they take away the rotational aspect of it. And they can drop straight down. When you stick a landing in gymnastics, what do they do? They drop vertical. They keep drop, 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 dropping, and then they stand back up. But they don't stop. There's, there's no abrupt halt in that, in that process. So that becomes a thing is that, yeah, even like with plyometrics, you know, I, was, I said something about plyometrics where I'm trying to figure it out based on the fact that, you know, and once again, here we go. You're trying to tell me you want me to move in this direction as fast as possible, we call, you know, stretching. And then you want me to stop as fast as possible and then go the other way to, to as fast as possible. That's hard. That, that's hard, you know. And then you see people stay doing plyometrics, you go, but you didn't do that. You, you, it took you a long time to stop, took you a long time to change direction, and it took you a long time, you know, it's, it's, it, it, the way they describe polymetrics in that, in that sense, that's hard to do, unless you do what? You don't have that much squat in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, so if you just, if you're just pogoing, then yeah, you're going to stop and go the other way. But, it, but like on a counter movement jump, just squat down and lengthen, and then all of a sudden, I'm going to shorten. Oh, that's hard, you know? And then once again, when does that happen in the real world? I mean, we got to think about it again, once again. But some people say sprinting and jumping do what? Stop right away, go the other way. Sprinting, stop and go the other way. That's hard. And once again, if you're doing that, you got to be strong. So, but, but for the most part, with a collision, there's always motion. There's always some movement. There's always the next movement coming. There's the, there isn't that abrupt halt. So that's why, you know, when I started looking at five metrics, I'm thinking like, no, abrupt halt? Go down, abrupt halt, and then reverse? That's hard. That's hard. That- and I don't know, you know, like I said, you see some people standing doing five minutes, you go, yeah, whatever. That, that, that's, that's, you know, when I chew my food, I do a plyometric, you know, because I open and snap back down right away. You know, alligator, snapping turtle, that's, to me, that's a plyo. You know, like I said, you see the alligator, and, and you can take out the amortization phase, because you see the alligator, he can have his mouth wide open, and it's just, they just, they just ready to go. And as soon as you touch that tongue, pow, the thing snap down. That's a plyometric to me. That would be uh that should be I'm sure it's been studied on some level, but not then under the title of plyometrics. I like I think I'm gonna title <laughs> this podcast when I chew my food, I do a plyometric. <laughs> uh, it always it may it does make me think about you know, when Jeremy Frisch and Callan Butterfield were on recently, they were talking about like landings in um extreme sports like skiing and stuff like that. And and I as well as how do you teach kids different outcomes. And one of Jeremy's big things was like once you have a basic landing you know, kind of mastered, go make it more complex, make it complicated, twist in the air, turn and land a different way. I think what we oftentimes do so much is we just keep things really simple and say, this is the way to do it, which is some sort of snap down or some sort of clean absorption. And again, I, I do think that, um, like being able to, the strength qualities of just the drop, I think are beneficial. But I think that once you start coaching those drops, like, I think the benefit is actually more just on the mic. It's the tendons, it's the tissues, you know, as long as you aren't doing too much, it's not, the majority of what you do, it's not enough to bleed over into your ability to redirect force well. Um, same thing is probably like change of direction. Like, and we, I think we've talked about this, like change, like you're, there's no, like you don't just decelerate and change the direction. You have to redirect. And it's almost like the yeah. more that we train deceleration, the probably we more actually tr- coach the wrong thing into people. Whereas just getting stronger in the weight room has been shown to improve COD for the most part. And then just let athletes be athletes and do their thing. So I'm I'm curious um what uh like like with snap downs and you mentioned it but like the, how we typically and often coach a landing like you know throw your arms back or I think that's often done for like a counter movement jump to set up or I don't even know but and maybe we've chatted on this before <laughs> but what do you I mean what what is a snap down teaching an athlete uh, I, I don't know because I don't teach that yeah. I, I, okay. you know but but I, I don't teach it so so I, I mean the whole thing about it is, is once again we we have to look at you know, what is somebody doing? You know, so let's look at, take, you take a sport like baseball. You know, when are, when are, when are they going to do that movement? And if I want, like I said, I, I posted something the other day about this here. If I want to build up that, whatever I'm trying to build up, teach everybody how to triple jump. Teach everybody how to triple jump, you know? Because now, now we're talking about a whole new thing. Teach everybody how to triple jump and call it done, you know? I mean, because think about, 
women now, you know, I was watching Rojas and think about her. I'm thinking like, okay, she just jumped off of one leg because she, 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 she might go 51, 51 feet. Mm-hmm. She'd be like, yo, how many guys can triple jump 51 feet? Not me. How I was 46. 46. 45 <laughs> feet? I mean, how many guys in their prime, strong dudes can triple jump over 45 feet? You know? And it's not about strength. It's not about being resilient, you know, and all that. But, but think about that, that jumping off of one leg, traveling through the air, 13 or 14 feet, landing on one leg. And then you're going to take off and, and land and jump another 13 or 14, 15 feet and land on one leg. And then you're going to take off. And, and I mean, think about that for a second. If you want to teach somebody how to be strong, the strength it takes to do that versus jump off Queen's box. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm going with the triple jump. Yeah. Because in triple jump, they, it's often talked about, or at least I've heard it, it's like, you know, it's 10 to 15 times force on your body. It's the most extreme event, but it's like, it's not just on the, the body will distribute it as it, even that shin traveling forward in the foot strikes right. is a massive right. dampener of where that, those right. forces are right. going. Right. Yeah. That's what, you know, or think about high jump, you know, it, you know, to me, you know, high jump, and we can go back to Western roll, you know, Western roll, the flop, and the triple jump. Teach people those three things. I don't think you have a problem with trying to figure out how to absorb forces. Yeah. One thing that I do, I think is interesting is a lot of the people, I like how dunking is so popular. Dunking a basketball is probably eclipsed like even track and field stuff. I mean, it definitely has, you know, if you were to look on YouTube, that's us way more popular and there's, there's more creativity and expression to it. I get it. It's more also familiar, but a lot of those people, I, I don't think are that into plyometrics. They just lift and dunk. Maybe they don't even lift, you know? And it's <laughs> right, like, well, right, right. how, cause everything setting, like they're getting their landings coming off the rim. They're setting themselves up. Like I, I, whereas I, I say that too, cause I just took plyometrics, typical plyometrics, probably way farther than I should have. The balance of just actually playing where you are redistributing all these forces and you are managing collisions and then you do just a bunch of plyos and it's a very, it's a little different ball game. It's all more just force and it's a little bit less of using levers well, um, that specifically I should say to, to get up in yes. the air. So, yeah. well, I mean, I mean, even, even that there, you know, I was watching, uh, I think it was, I think it's Booker. Is that the one that, that the player? Anyways, it, I, I think that's the one, but, uh, um, you know, watch him navigate through traffic and dunk, you know? And, and so, you know, like I said, not taking away against the dunkers, but, but once again, you know, this guy's navigating through traffic and then boom, he takes off. He doesn't get a clear run at the basket, you know? Uh, uh, so how does, once again, how do you manage these things to do these things? Then you come down, you're in this strange environment. It's not a safe environment. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, these dunks come down in a safe environment. You know, when basketball, it's not safe. You don't know what's happening feet. You know, even the other day, I think the clip posted up, I forget who it was, but the player was doing a, a, a reverse spin. And he was doing a reverse spin as Zion Williams was stepping on his foot. <laughs> so so, the, so you're doing these things in this environment that's totally different. You can't practice spinning while somebody's stepping on your foot. You're not going to. No. <laughs> you, you know, that's not, that's not coming up, you know. But but he has practiced reverse spinning, you know, but the step on my foot, like, okay, well, and if he had practiced spinning based on spinning his foot, He's stuck when Zion steps on his foot. But he had practiced reverse spinning another way. So when Zion stepped on his foot, it didn't matter. I still went reverse spinning going about my business. You know, and I think that's what we, 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 that's the hardest part is to watch this and go, how did he do what he just did? You know, how did, you know, we've seen basketball players in games land on one leg and the leg is stiff and the body just falls over towards the ground and nothing's, and they just walk off. You know, the knee doesn't lock out, doesn't blow out. They just fold up and walk off. You know, we've we seen awkward landings in basketball, football, this sport, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I still think it comes down to, you know, um, you can't practice that. You know, you, you, the, the environment is so unpredictable. You can't practice unpredictability. You know, so practicing the same thing over and over and over again, that may never happen to me, it, it, it's backwards. You know, if you want to be an athlete, be an athlete. I mean, that's, that's what I tell people all the time about, you know, and if they start looking at athletes, what do they probably do better than anybody else? They probably match collisions better than anybody else. They, they probably do that better than anybody else, you know, because they don't have fear. You know, the thing about anything, you know, parkour guys, they can't be afraid when you're about to do this, 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 this running jump. You can't be afraid, you know. I, I mean, if you're a football player, you got to smash through the hole. You can't be afraid, you know. I mean, like I said, when I played football, I didn't want to play offense because I didn't want to get hit. But I like playing defense. And the reason I didn't want to play offense is because I knew how I would hit somebody on defense. And I'm thinking, like, I don't know, I, I, I'm pretty sure somebody's going to try to hit me like that. So I don't want to play offense. But I'll play defense. 
But what, what's the whole thing about it? It's still a collision. It's still a major collision going on. But my brain was on the other side saying, if I'm giving it rather than taking it, you know? But, but and what they say about guys receive, they go across the middle. You can't have no fear going across the middle. So a lot of it is, is just that with, 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 are we introducing fear into these athletes as we train them? Because a lot of these things that we talk about, on one is about performance, but on the other end, a lot is about how we can prevent injury. We tell our athletes, we're doing this to prevent injury. We're doing this to prevent injury. We're doing this to prevent injury. So are we instilling the fact you're going to get hurt into the athlete's head and jacking them up versus, hey, man, look it, we're about to go out here and try to figure out how to flip this snowmobile. Hey, we're going to get this motorcycle. We're going to figure out how to jump and go and do the backwards ramp. I mean, look at skateboards. How many times do they try something? How many times do they try something? How many times do they fall? No fear. As soon as you get fear into the equation, all of a sudden you can't manage the collision. You're going to have some problems. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't strike me. I mean, I don't know this because I don't know enough of these people personally, but I would imagine that people who are triple jumping like 58 feet or people who are doing 360 between the legs dunks, I wouldn't imagine they're very fearful people. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, no, Those no, are pretty no. serious collisions. <laughs> those are pretty serious collisions to manage. Yeah, yeah. And they come in, you know, you don't know where they're coming from. I mean, it's like my, my daughter, you know, we have a pool now and, and she's doing, you know, flips off the board and all that kind of stuff. And I told her, like, so I, can, I can do a one and a half, you know. She goes, no, you can't. Yes, I can't because I don't have a fear. But then she can do a back dive. I can't. Why? Because I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm afraid of a collision. She isn't. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> That's um, so kind of simple. One of the things that you told me, I don't remember how long ago, maybe a year, maybe a little more, but it was like kind of like the ultimate collision. Like the what's the ultimate collision in sport? And I think it was something like a, a javelin thrower or a high jumper. I mean, maybe you could take this to baseball or cricket i don't know but like that long like that long last step that hits like like where you're basically going um your your center mass is traveling pretty low and you take a really long last step that's like a break step uh and you have to manage that so it's like this horizontal into a vertical lever versus just simply dropping off a high box or something like that so can you explain a little bit more about those those like high risk collisions that only a few of the elites can truly pull right because even if but like we talked about, you know, like like in martial arts, one of the first things they teach you in martial arts is what how to fall, roll and cut. You know, because they, they they know what we're gonna throw you, you're gonna fall. So one of the first things we can teach you is how to deal with this this collision aspect that we're gonna take it away from you. We gonna, we gonna take the fear out of it. You know, you you, you talk we talk about poor poor guys where they keep moving, 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 but all of a sudden you get to javelin high jump where we actually are coming to a the foot's coming to a stop. You know, and so when it comes to a stop, all that's be directed back through the body. You know, and we want the body to come down to a to a semi-halt and throw, but you don't really go, you're trying to stop. We see the guys, you know, they, they flop forward or we see the high jump as they go up and try to try to manage this. But those are different types of collisions. Those are, those are very violent collisions, you know? Um, and and I, would, I wouldn't put the cricket in the same boat because the cricket guy gets to run some more. You know, oh, yeah, they keep throw, going. Yeah, they keep going. They don't have they to. Get, you know, javelin, you, that's, you're trying to really put the brakes on that thing. So how do you use a collision to put the brakes on something and, 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 and at the same time, I, I want this to go to my arm. I want my body to come to a stop and put all this through my arm. That's woe to me, that, that, that you don't blow out a knee or hip and, and trying to direct all this through your whole body back through your arm. That's what, you know. And if you watch, like I said, when you watch, you know, uh, um, Zaleski, when he threw, you know, like I said, that looked straight. It was not, it didn't mm-hmm. buckle, it didn't bend, it didn't. But what, what did bend? When he got to the hip, it started to bend. So at that point in time, we we're going to extend this. You know, what else is bending? We're going to get through the arm. And then all of a sudden, you know, so, so there's, there's, there's some extension going on at some point in time. But as far as from the foot through the hip, that, that to me was, was the same thing when you see high jumps and you see Sudermeyer jump, you know, eight feet. You know, you go, ooh. You know, or oh, what's the last guy that did really, even Stephen Holmes? I mean, uh, Mar- uh, Barshan or Stephon Holmes? Stephen Holmes, you know, say short guy, yeah. you really got to come in. You really got to come in at angles that, that's going to pop you, you know. But once again, we're still not coming to a halt. We're just using this. Like, now we like the cat. Now they like the cat. Where we're going to figure out, I, I need to use this to pop you up just enough to keep going. Yeah. You know. I wanted to take a break from the show and briefly share with you the difference that performance herbalism can make for you. Several years ago, I had Logan Christopher, CEO of Lost Empire Herbs, on the show to talk about hypnosis and mental training for athletes. Uh, While talking to him, I realized he also had an herbalism company. So shortly thereafter, I used the Phoenix formula, which was my first product I bought from them, 
I had great results with it, not only increasing my energy and decreasing my need for coffee and caffeine, but I also noticed that it was making an impact on my lifts and my weight room numbers. I was having a great training experience. Shortly thereafter, I also got into the shiliagit resin as well as other herbs. And I don't look at supplementation the same way. I'm a strong believer in what Logan and his company are doing in looking for a natural resource to boost human performance. If you want to check out the herbs that I use personally from Lost Empire Herbs, you can head to www.lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. There you can get 15% off your order and they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. Definitely check them out. Let's get on back to the show. Okay. I actually with the javelin because the javelin is like the gnarliest I guess because right? that's the the hardest break you aren't even rejecting like I mean that is the hardest break right right uh, I maybe of all, and and I've heard someone say this I won't say who it was but it was a very prominent figure in in strength and conditioning sports performance and you know had had known a lot of throwers and said basically to throw ninety meters in javelin takes a lot of balls and I didn't really understand <laughs> at the time this was like ten years ago almost and I didn't understand why he said that. And but I mean, compared to the other throws, like where yeah. I mean, again, no disrespect to anyone who throws a shot or a distal or hammer. I mean, those are all awesome things. But like, it makes sense to me now how that javelin requires absolutely no fear because you have the 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 stopping force is insane. The degrees of the radiance per second going through the shoulder is insane. Like you have this. I mean, right, the, right, the chance right. of elbow damage is insane if your elbow is in the exact right place. Like you have right, to really right, take right. all the fear breaks off to throw that stick almost 300 feet. Right, right. And it's kind of like standing a triple jump. You know, like I said, you can't, you can't take on the triple jump and thinking I'm going to twist my ankle. You can't. I might, I might twist my ankle if I land wrong. <laughs> That's, you can't have that thought in your head. You know, same thing. You can't be thinking javelin. I might blow my knee or hip out with this, with this plan I'm about to do. You can't. You know, you can't think that. So, so. Uh, those are like said. I mean, that that javelin high jump collision is like is, is about as violent as it gets for collision. I mean, triple jump is not violent because you get to, you really get to move through it still, you know. Yeah. But but those two, you're trying to put the brakes on, and and at the same time, you put the brakes on, redirect all the energy through your little finger. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Is there <laughs> but, any? But but. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I. <laughs> But, but once again, you know, how do you practice it? You have to do it. You yeah. have to do it. Yeah. That's the thing is that's where like I've always been the type of person that I I would try to dissect sport performance and say, what's the plyometric that's going to transfer to XYZ, you know? But it's like that, those types of takeoffs are so unique or, or blocks are so unique uh, that you really, and that goes back to the thing I said with like the dunkers who don't, they don't do plyos as much as they just dunk and lift and play basketball is those right. those long to short to break combinations are so unique it's hard to come up with something that really replicates that on a high level <laughs> um I, right, I, is, right, is there right. any other sport like team sport motions that come anywhere close to that high jump or jail i mean maybe like some takeoffs in basketball or something like dunking over people no, maybe you, i don't you know you can look at you can handball you know you look at handball maybe you know team handball maybe you know but but yeah there's not not too many, you know, and, and so when you when you start looking at, at those things in the collision and, and, and the, the violence, and I said, that's violent to me and everything, you go, wow, you know, I mean, think about what got Bo Jackson hurt. He got caught in a javelin type position and he jammed up his hip. You know, I mean, you, you think about, you know, because somebody was trying to tackle Bo Jackson and his leg got cut out in front of him and, and his body was going forward and his leg couldn't move anymore. He could redirect it past his hip. So guess what? The hip caught all that and, and, and it blew it, you know? So, so you have to think about like, like, like that, that same plant javelin throws do all the time, and they survive it. Wow! Yeah. Wow, that's that's a wow to me. I was that was the thing I never I, I threw javelin and and high jump, so I had that. And I'm kind of that type of person. One time when I was in eighth grade, I rode my bike off a small cliff into a river for twenty bucks. So I, I was that was me. Like maybe that's why I was halfway decent at those things. Uh, but but the javelin though even that i i only threw it like really really trained and only threw it for maybe three four years and even towards the end of that i still was not i did not have that long fall into that last step i mean it was okay but i could only do it off a short approach or like a kind of shorter choppy approach like it wasn't right right it was right, nothing right. like those elite guys and that was the and, thing and, that was i was envied that i was like how do i get this this is amazing right and that, I think that's what people miss. People miss more than anything else in this is, is how you set up the collision. 
so so and that's what and that's why with 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 snap downs with this or with that whatever it doesn't teach you how to set up the collision yeah and, and so and that's why you got some people throwing you know even in javelin they they throw you know me i, I can throw javelin you know maybe 60 feet because i don't know how to set the collision to throw further than that you have people throwing you know 95 meters why? Because they know how to set up a collision to throw that far. And I think that's what people miss more than anything else. Is with all this stuff, is you how how do we set these collisions? How do we set the collisions? And once I set it up, now how do I manage the collision? You know, that that becomes a thing. And we've seen, like I said, you see some job. And I and I think sometimes the word we use not against what how they coach, but I think even like the word block may not be the best word. Hmm. You know, because uh, you see some people try to block, and then the collision's poor. You know, uh, uh, and then we see at times where where they're sliding forward, still the foot sliding forward. They're sliding floor, you know, but you block, but you're still moving forward. So that's not a, that, that's not a good collision, you know. So I, I think that that how do we set these things up, you know, is the first thing. And then how do I manage it is the second thing. Uh, and I think we're going backwards in a sense where we say I want to set up deceleration. I want to set up absorption before I can. No, I, I want to set up. How do I how do I run a thousand miles an hour to have an impact collision into the wall? Then how do I survive it? I like that because the idea, since you kind of like framed it out there, how do I set it up? One, and I sound like I'm writing this. How do I manage it? Two, I feel like if I was planning on how to like train, if I'm working with those athletes, or honestly, even just like basketball or volleyball, and they want, I need to help teach them to fall into the last few steps more effectively or something like that, versus trying to yeah. manufacture some sort of like long penultimate or whatever. Um, like, how do I teach? And I, I would think about that then. How do I how do I set it up first? So if I'm teaching an athlete to fall longer uh, into whatever they're doing, if it's a jump, it's a throw, maybe it's a baseball, I don't know, baseball pitcher falling or softball. Like I'm sure there's lots of situations where this where an athlete would be benefited by falling longer. Would you you would agree with that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's just like I said, it, it, it's you know it's nine point eight and it's per meter second squared, so it means it's adding up on you. But yeah, but but that becomes a thing. Is like how do we set these things up to to do this? And, and just like I was talking to somebody the other day, it's funny because I was just talking to somebody the other day. We we're talking about the penultimate step for for for, for cricket bowling, and 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 he was like, I think it goes back one, two, three, four, you know. And we're looking at we like, oh yeah, and why? Because the action starts when they take that big hop in the air. That's when it starts. The fourth step out, so, not the second step. Not the second. second, the fourth one out. Because when does the when does the action really start? When they take that big leap. Mm. So 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 we so we go back and, and it was still a funny thing. We go back, we check, like guess what? They still roll right through that step. They roll right through it to hit this one because they because technically at that point in time you, you're going to jump. So when does that jump start to throw? So so that's what's funny is that when you start looking at things, you go, oh, let's back up a couple more steps, and then you go, oh, because technically what I'm, I'm going to jump to throw. So my penultimate is the step before that one. That makes sense. You talked about Stefan Holm and like, you know, that collision that Stefan Holm had to do it at 510, jump 710 is absolutely insane. And I know in watching some of his drill work, and this is where I've, I, as I've grown older as a coach, I respect this stuff more and more and more. It becomes more and more important to me. My solution 10 years ago was just do a better job with depth jumps and hurdle hops and your French. Car. And those things are still important to me for sure. Um, but, yeah. but Stefan said, uh, or his drills was like, It'd be like you, you're running towards the high jump bar and four steps out, you do a skip hop step where you change the rhythm and then ride that rhythm into the jump. So it's like there's this intentional manipulation of rhythms that starts four steps out from takeoff. And I think that, yeah, we so often get caught in the vacuum of just the last two or something like that. And I was right. going to say even, well, I don't know, something I've been playing around a lot with, um, especially in light of the falling is, and I've done this, I remember... I did this just on my own just because just for the hell of it when I was 21 it was a season before I high jumped seven foot is in the summer I just got out of like a 20 inch box and I did just like a, I just basically jumped I put it about maybe 20 feet from the hoop jumped off of it took a couple steps and jumped up and grabbed the rim or whatever or hit my head on a tennis ball <laughs> and then I was watching this video of these uh, high jumpers in the 80s doing the exact same thing which is like yeah. cool I don't even remember exactly where I got that idea from uh, but I my muse has been more so than just just doing plyo because that's easy like you know you just do enough plyos get the strength the tensile strength it helps it's it's supplemental but then the beauty yeah. of really really dialing in that long collision to stop to break it up is i was thinking of I've, i mean i've seen long jump coaches use the little boxes you know but the idea of just oh, yeah, using yeah. small boxes and small surfaces to prolong a fall 
what are your thoughts on things like that using like boxes or surfaces to help an athlete fall longer or manipulate <laughs> that kind of thing well well two things you know um um it, 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 it you know touch on two things really fast just like you know why you know once again just a depth jump or you know snap down or or just working on a landing just to clean that up some why you know why i'm not into that is because you 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 something came before that you mm-hmm. you had to set you you had to jump off of something you know you had to do something to land that's like when people get on high speed treadmills and they say i'm running 30 miles an hour okay but how'd you get there you jumped on at 30 so and, and i think that's in the same boat that you have to learn how to get to 30 mm-hmm. you got to learn how to create the collision to, before you start worrying about the landing you know how did you you know you got to jump before you land and, and so we worried about landing but worry about the jump it's, it's going to create the landing and so that becomes a thing. But I think, you know, the other part is this here is those boxes, they set up collisions. Then you take a box away and alters the collision. Yeah. So athlete, athlete will jump well off the box because of the collision they just created. And then you take the box away, they can't create that collision anymore. That's the only problem I have with that is that, that, that is it, you just created because what's happening is what? The box is a bit higher. I'm going to impact it. Boom, go. Now all of a sudden you take that away. And my foot now is a little bit straighter or this happens. So, so the way I manage the collision off that, that little short box is not how I'm going to manage or create the collision without that short box. You know, same thing with ramps and everything, kids, you know, springboards. You know, think about a springboard. It's really altered, you know, like I said, I, I, I was, when I was younger, I jumped off of them. I thought it was really cool. But then you go, no, this is messed up everything. Because when you hit, it goes down, which kills your, which messes up the whole collision aspect of it. And then it's going to throw you, which means you haven't managed anything. Mm-hmm. The springs managed it for you. So, so that's the whole thing right there. Once again, learn how to set these things up. And if you use those boxes, understand you just created a collision that's not going to happen unless they come in that low. So once again, if you understand that you just created a low situation, then yeah, okay, this is what needs to happen when you, when you take the box away. Come in that same low, low situation to create that same collision you just had off the box to jump the same distance. Yeah. Yeah. You see it a lot like a long jumper posting themselves, jumping off of like a three inch box and doing a long, long jump. And you wonder what'll happen when that box goes away. And that's the thing I've been working on recently is trying to set up a, a different collision, a different sense of falling using these like different little ramps, but then I'll take it away and it's really hard to feel that again. And I like, um, so I definitely get what you're saying there. It's just, that's been more my experimentation, but I think, and I do want to keep this a very gen- general, not just track and field, but even like the idea of using um, like Chris Corfist and Dan Fichter had talked about like, like they called it pliosoidal work. But the idea of almost using like not ramps or boxes, but like little like pieces of track, like a, qu- a half inch, a quarter inch. And I almost wonder if that, because that's not, that's, I don't think that really alters the collision so much as it may just keeps your brain guessing a little bit. It's just different. It's just subtle difference, variability or something like that. So, yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, you know, the, the, the hardest part that we have is, is, is take away the fear, you know, to create this high. Because like I said, we actually, we, we actually a lot. That, that I want you to run down the runway. I want you to run, jump off one leg. I want you to run and jump in the air and catch this football. Mm-hmm. Or I want you, you know, uh, 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 I mean, we asked a lot of these, these, you know, I want you to change direction. I want you to run and change direction, which is just collisions. You just, just you know, bing, 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 it's, it's collisions. So, but once again, if we never show them how to set these things up, how can we expect them to manage these things? You know, whatever it is, very bitter, whatever you want to say, you know, and the thing about one thing is we know this here. If the, the collision or, or the takeoff is the same in high jump, long, long jump is always going to be the same. So sometimes you ask for variability in a, for an event, you go, why? I get variability for something like soccer, where, where, the, where, where you're going to take off in different positions, football, rugby. But like in track and field, that long jump takeoff is never going to change. That triple jump takeoff is never going to change. That, you know, like I used to tell people, like, like, like you know, my long jumpers, I would tell them, hey, the board didn't move. It's not going anyplace. You know, they're worried about it. Nobody's going to pull the board out right before you, you know, don't <laughs> be afraid of that thing. Nobody's going to remove it right before you get there, you know. So so for those sports, like I said, nothing's changing. All the sports, things are changing, you know. And, and so for what you got to do, that's why, you know, one of the things, uh, uh, what's that sport? I think I was in North Carolina, called a Konecki or something like that, where you throw the football around like, like you play ultimate frisbee or something like that. Ultimate frisbee, another thing. Throw that damn thing and go get it. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing when you throw a frisbee and you got to get it. What, what goes through your mind as you chase it down? 
Am I going to leap to get it? Am I going to catch it this yeah. way to get it? I got to throw it again. You know, uh, it's a, it's amazing. That's why, you know, once again, but where I get that from, watching the dogs catch frisbees. Watch them jump off somebody's back and catch the frisbee. Because the frisbee is the verb. We don't know how it's floating. Is it going to drop? Is it going to do this? But the dog seems like, boom, I got this. Yeah. I'm going to jump and go get this damn thing. So I think for those things like that, but once again, we're back to playing games. Let's go back to playing games to introduce variability to something versus a strict routine. You know, unless, like I say, you're a track where we know that long jump board is not going anyplace, mm-hmm. the takeoff's going to be the same. Yeah, that's where the, like, people talk about like low rim dunks and and we've talked about that at the rewire like why low rim dunks there's i mean you have some cool principles like recycling energy because you're you're going in motion to dunk it sooner than if the rim was higher but also there's just variability and it's fun because you can do all these different dunks and different angles of projection and versus yeah track like doing the same thing over and over again and and i think with low rim dunking too i just appreciate the plyometric effect of it like long to high type collisions and Everything that goes. Well, with yeah, that. because what happened? Because like, with, I remember a long time ago, man. And this is this is this is this is a funny story. We were playing on a ninth rim. This is when I was really in my prime. And so we were playing basketball on a ninth rim, and 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 I'm coming down, and and it's, and and I could dunk, you know, and I'm going I'm going in for the dunk, right? And some of my brain says, no, 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 don't do it that way. So I stopped, backed up to the 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 about top of the key took two steps launched from the free throw line boom you know i could have never done that on a 10-foot rim never but but just just the, like i said it's the things you all of a sudden you go whoa hold on, hold on do it this way instead it's just an amazing thing or like you said all of a sudden you do 360s you get to practice 360 up that you can't really practice on a 10-foot rim or you get to practice you know rock the crater you get to, that's where variability comes in is, is, is the ability to play again you know and so when we see kids, when you lower, if you give a baby a low rim, it's on. It is on. Watch a baby. Give a baby a ball a low rim and see what he comes up with. The, but he's back to playing again. You don't have to structure it to say, do this or do that. Oh, okay, then let's, let's go. You know, uh, that becomes the fun part. Yeah, but, but let's play. You know, and I think that, that's the whole thing about it is. And as part of that play, you start learning what? How to set the collision. How to manage the collision. You know, you start, you start learning through play how to do these things without the strict structure of, of, of program. Yeah, I agree. I, I also makes me think about Rafe Kelly when he was on the show the first time talked about how he, when he was doing parkour in his mid to late thirties, he was jumping higher and dunking more easily than he could in his early twenties when he was trained very specifically for dunking, like doing the squats and the depth jumps in those programs. And then he goes and he plays later in life with less probably, you know, fast twitch muscle or whatever. And like just the variability of, all the different jumps you can do and probably having fun doing it. And the way that though, I mean, parkour, you do do some landings, but there's also a lot of redirections too. And so it's just, um, it's, it's interesting to me. I definitely have gotten to the, I used to be so plyometric oriented, whereas I've now I get to the place where it's like the, the setting up different co- collisions in a fun or novel way has become way more of a whole food as Rafe would say. And then the traditional plyometrics are definitely more supplemental. They're, they're lower volume than they used to be. <laughs> And when I do program jumps, like for even for long jump, a lot of times I'll say, you're going to do three sets of three and every jump each time get a little better. Don't make them all the same. Don't make them all max as far as you can go. Like there's always the waves to, you know, maybe we'll superset the long jump with a different kind of running to give you something else in the system. Um, Just trying to really express different. um, It's like making the main thing, the main thing, but, but just trying to, you know, strike a little different way each time. Yeah, you know, or even uh, when we when we were up in in uh, the Bay Area with Kevin, remember we used to draw the circles in the sand. You had to land in the circles. Yeah, you know, you had to you had to go to circle out there. You know, but that once again, you your brain's calculating as you come down the runway. Okay, I got to take off here, and the circles out there. How am I gonna, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. But that's what I think people that's it, it, and there's ways to do these things because now I need it. How do I get a, a a greater collision to get a greater jump? Well, let's put something out there. And give you some type of variability as far as visualization. Okay, that's where I need to go. Even like I remember, I remember coaching long jumps. I would tell them, you know, hey, if you're in the second flight, do not watch the first flight <laughs> because if the first flight, because normally the first flight is, is, is not the better flight. So if those guys are jumping, you know, if you're a twenty, if you're a twenty foot long jumper, you watch the seventeen foot long jumpers land. Guess where you're going? You got to jump seventeen foot that day because that's what you're locked into. Don't watch them dudes jump. You know. So, so even at that, we tell them, don't watch that first fight. Just, just don't do it. You're going to be cutting. And they want to go jump 17 feet today, coach. 
Did you watch them dudes where they landed? So all, all this being said, um, maybe like talking plyometric, how do I implement plyometrics then for, I mean, you know, team sport athletes, I, there's always a gap to fill, right? There's always something that an athlete yeah, could do yeah. better. So right. uh, maybe for just general, just general principles, we could talk. Well, first off, the easy one, landing. Do you, would you do anything to teach landing or just kind of let that? No, or, no. <laughs> let it be. I, I would let it be, you know, especially when you talk about files, because when we talk about files of different files out there, you know, double hops, hurdle hops, whatever the case may be, let it be, you know. But once again, a lot of times people are talking about injury prevention. So I'm not in that boat already. I'm not mm-hmm. in that fear boat of you're going to get hurt, you know, so I'm going to teach you how not to hurt yourself. I'm not in that boat because, like I said, you got kids. You've seen them jump off stuff. Mm-hmm. They jump off stuff. Off. So all of a sudden, you know, I, as a kid, I jumped off of everything under the world. Also, as an adult, I can't jump off anything anymore without getting hurt. Really? Yeah. So, 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 yeah, no, I, landing is the least of my worries when it comes to, to, to plyometrics. Yeah, I, I hear you on that one. I, I just think I, I, I might use a little, I don't use a lot, but I, I definitely have completely gotten away from using it and coaching it, you know, like, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I'm more concerned with can an athlete do hops on one leg and feel the arches of their foot, those types of things. Like, to me, that's, a much bigger rock than let me let me have you land and coach some arms and limbs and stuff but not even care about what your foot's doing like or you know what's right, the right, start right, of the right. whole chain upward chain um okay yeah, so right. redirecting stuff though like you know i'm trying to you select plyometrics or, or jumping based drills with the idea that jumps are running jumps that running jumps rely on not you know not losing a lot of speed and converting well um, right. And outside, so outside of actually jumping itself, what is there ways you would supplement and like, you know, using hurdles or barriers or objects, like any thoughts on how coaches could just at least have a different layer of observation of how their plyometrics are impacting an athlete from those uh, collision and, and energy recycling perspective? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's well, the, the first thing is always said, and this is the most difficult thing about plyometrics is what am I... You know, if I'm going to stretch and shorten something, what am I stretching to shorten? That's the most difficult thing about plyometrics. If you ask a coach, okay, what are we stretching to shorten right now? What are we doing? And, and so that's the first thing is, what are we stretching to shorten? Are we using the whole body as a plyometric? Are we using the quads? Are we using the hamstrings? What are we, what are we stretching to shorten? You know, are we using glutes? Are we using quads and glutes? So that should be... The first, but if you start talking about that, I'm actually done already. It's too complex. It's too complex already. You know, so let's get out of that. Let's get out of that. And let's say, okay, now what am I trying to do? I want to set up a collision. Okay, so I'm going to use time to set up a collision. Okay, cool. Well, I got to jump. So let me jump as high as possible. Let me jump as high as possible or as forward as possible or as side as possible. And, and when I hit, I'm going to go ahead and do what they say do now. I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue to stretch until my joint end range is taken up. Now, at that point in time, because my joint end range is taken up, it's going to be easy to reverse that. That's how I'm going to do plyometrics. Because um, I still got a collision. And just because my feet hit the ground don't mean the collision is over yet, or, or, or that's the end of the collision. So, like, for me, it's the same thing. That's what we see a lot of times, too, when, when, when parkour guys, when they hit the ground, they keep going down. So I'm going to change plyometrics to the same thing. Instead of sticking and landing now, when I hit the ground, um, we keep going down to joint end range is taken up as far as how far can I fold up and let that stop me. And then I can reverse that quicker. Now we talk. Uh, let me put that what you said just in context of one of the drills or plyometrics that I've, I, I don't use this in its full form with a lot of athletes, but I think it's really powerful. It's just, um, I think I got this, I was reading like a Dan O'Brien training book a long time ago. Like I was like, <laughs> I don't know, 16 or 17. And it was the idea of doing um, single leg hurdle hops, but not, but you put them far apart. And I don't even know if this was in the book. I might have just kind of came up with this or thought about it. But like I had these, my dad made these hurdles out of wood in the backyard. And on one leg, I would jump, I would jump over it. So like left leg, I'm going to jump over the hurdle, land on my left leg, then jump far to the next hurdle. Like the, the hurdles are maybe like, you know, 15 feet apart or something. And then jump yeah. high over the next one. So it's like high, far, high, far, high, far. Do you right, feel like right, that yeah. is an innately better way of like, taking things to end range and then st- stopping and redirecting versus like a, like if they're just vertical, it's like, high, 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 high. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you think yeah, that yeah, has yeah. an advantage over just going over hurdles, like normal hurdle hops? Well, yeah, even that, like I said, and, and, and so if I'm going to go over the hurdle, when I hit the ground, I'm, I'm, to me, that's 
that's when the stretch starts. And, and so I, I think that's that's the missing link of, of like I said, stretch to shorten. When does the stretching actually start? You know, so once the collision happens, the stretching is going to start then. So I'm going to let's stretch, you know, versus let's stop right away because nothing has stretched. You know what I'm saying? The difference, like, let's take away the abrupt halt and try to come back up right away. Where I'm saying, no, let's continue on down. And then when end range taken up, and that's where, like, even I think with, with you know, Jermaine Dixon of Dixon Sports, one thing he was talking about is, is, is tissue tolerance. Somebody took it the wrong way, you know. But another thing about tissue tolerance is, is your tissue tolerant of folding up, going to end range, you know. A lot of times we talk about these things in a, in, in a straight line, you know. But it's like, you know, can your tissue handle the rapid fold up and the rapid extension? That, to me, is a whole different ballgame for tissue tolerance than let me stop and see if my tissue can handle me stopping abruptly. Would that be the difference between, like, just doing all your plyometrics, like, on the balls of the feet? Like, if you're everything on your toes, then you're not training right. tissue tolerance yeah. versus doing some stuff where you might end up in that dorsiflexed or class one lever position, but it's hopefully going into a class two at some point, you know, like, like how does yeah. that, <laughs> could you explain that again, just in the sense of, like, ankle dorsiflexion, plantar flexion? Well, yeah. Things? So, so say I'm going to land, say I'm going to land, you know, one leg or two legs doesn't matter, but I'm going to land and, and it could be sideways or whatever, because a lot of times we see people do a sideways hop. And, and what we see is they, they, they try to stop from moving again when your body's going in that direction. And it's like, no, keep going in that direction, you know? But the thing is, if I'm going to do this, when I land, like I said, if the, if the, if, if the definition of applied metric is I'm going to stretch something, stop stretching it and then rapidly shorten it. If that's the definition, then when I do a plyo and I jump and land, to me, when I hit the ground again, I'm going to go ahead and stretch something. And I'm going to stretch it to end range. And people are confused because how can fold it up be stretching? But anytime you fold something, what do you do at the same time? You had to stretch it. That to, I'm just going to explain what I, my, one way I took that, what you just said, is the idea of I'll go back to landing after a dunk, like an athlete comes down or even yeah. a volleyball spike or something, a situation yeah. where athletes in an air and they're not thinking about how, how shall I land this? How the coach taught me to do it, you know? Um, and they, what, to me, what seems to often happen is the athlete will land and they will get into a stretched position. Like the, the knees are going to come forward over the toes a little bit. Like there's going to be a stretch of those tissues. And then they kind of like just bounce out of it. Like they don't jump back, but it's like stretch load on the landing a little bit. And then kind of rebound into maybe a three, four inch bounce hop or something, you know, horizontally where it is redirected right. again on a small level. But that's just because that's just dampening the collision coming off of the, the hoop or whatever. Right, or right, right, or... right. I mean, for me, like I said, instead of instead of thinking about stretching the muscle, I'm thinking about the joint. So so to bend at a joint is actually stretching at that point. To extend the joint is actually shortening at that point. So see what I'm saying? I'm just I'm just saying. My, my issue with plows is I'm going to focus on the joint rather than the muscle. Because the muscle's got to go along with me now. Because that's the whole thing about plows. What muscle are you stretching and shortening right now? I mean, which one? Which, which one? The glutes? Quads? The hams? Calf? Which one are you doing right now? Joints, we can figure it out. So to me, what a plow is, is a joint I'm going to deal with. I'm going to bend that joint. It means I'm going to stretch that joint. Then I'm going to extend that, that joint. which means I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to shorten that joint. That, to me, is, is what I would do with plows. Got it. So, is that would that be the reason why, at least in my experience with us training together for, you know, the years that we spent, is it seemed like you were always doing things that were more like, kind of like like frog hops type stuff, or yeah. where you're doing bunny hops, and it's all stuff you're more folded up, like you're stretched, and you'd be prepared to take that into uh, a final few steps. We didn't. I don't think we really did a whole lot of stuff, if any, off boxes or dropping off boxes or right. any of that. Right. Uh, well, well, yeah, and that's the same thing, like, with, 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 if you come back to, like, why squatted run, because you're working on running folded up, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the exact, you know, same thing. I, I'm actually, because people forget about this. For you to, to get into a, a box, to fold your body up into a box, you have to stretch. You're actually stretching your body out, you know, and when you get out of the box, you're basically shortening your body at that point in time. It, 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 it's 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 like I said. If you take a wire and bend it around something, the wire got stretched. If you straighten that wire out, it got short. It's an amazing thing, but we think muscles. And, and I'm saying, think about the muscles. Think about the joints. Yeah, the squatty run. Even the 
like I didn't I, I would like using um like a physio ball, like pushing a like yeah. squat and push yeah. a physio ball. And I found that uh, if you had like a vertex up and you pushed the ball and then threw the ball the way with like 15, 20 feet to go and just ran and jumped. A lot of times I, I would jump an inch, maybe even a little bit more higher than if I just tried to jump and set that up. So right. it's like they're in if it's I guess just my thought is from from any sort of like collision management perspective, that stuff is really superior. Like plyometrics, I don't know, to me it's like do plyometrics. Do the the depth jumps, it's fine, but don't rely on those to be your collision management. Like that's those are for strength. They're for inhibiting, you know, the Golgi tendon organ and boost your nervous system. And, you know, it's like a high, it's like a nitrous oxide or nit. It's like an NO2, but it's not going to teach you to manage a collision. And if you do it too much, then your collision management skills might be impeded. Yeah, yeah, because that, that becomes a thing. Yeah, I think, like I said, so, so yeah, but if we go traditional plyometric, yeah, you know, they're about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get, and I think they're more, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to get more of, of vibrations, you know, because traditional plyometrics fits a different vibration. Mm-hmm. So how can I handle this vibration, you know, versus the smooth vibration, you know, plyometric, boom, you, and it's, it's a different vibration. So how can I handle these unwanted vibrations in a sense? But yeah, I, I mean, that becomes a thing, you, you know, but, but for the most part, like I said, if you, I don't, you know, like I said, a lot of times too, with training, when we got to fill in something, like why we got, you know, I go, why do we got to fill in something? I, I can just let these kids play. Mm-hmm. How come I can't just let these kids play, you know? Uh, 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 I, I mean, play should be the greatest form of training to me. Play should be the greatest form of training. You know, that's where I, I mean. Think about when you played by yourself. I, mean, I was. I, wait, but let's just go back to the days of, of of when you were by yourself, and and you had a ball and a glove. You go out to a field, and what do you do? You play. You threw the ball up. You threw the ball to Potter. You you bounce grounders to yourself. Da, da, da. You did this. You would die for balls. You, you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, you're training, but you're playing. And for some reason, we just don't play anymore. For some reason, we got to have this thing so structured. <laughs> it's crazy. We got Now I got to fill in the gaps. Now, oh, what I'm going to do here, I got to fill in this gap. Oh, what I'm going to do here, I got to fill in this gap. Now we got to, you know, like I said, not against any of that stuff, but, but, you know, just like with kids these days, they don't go outside and play anymore, so we have, what, scheduled play dates. Why you got to you didn't have to schedule play days when you was growing up. You got outside and you went to go. You found somebody to go play with, or you played by yourself. But there was no scheduled play days. But that's how we are now. We're so structured. It's crazy, you know. But for me, yeah, same thing with lifting weights. You know, lift weights and have a good time in lifting weights. You know, but we got, but we trying to, well, we can do it with the weights, but we got, we got to fill in this, fill in this, and fill in this. Just lift the weights. Just lift it. Yeah. Yeah, it's we we definitely I do think there is some level of majoring in the minors in the grand scheme of things in the grand scheme of I think we try to take things that are very simple and we we work those relentlessly when at the when at the end of the day though we might not be training the collision like the secret to a better collision might just be in learning to fold up more and do a physio ball run or do those you know, like <laughs> and and that's what's been holding you back from really getting up there and so yeah, I have nothing against. I mean, I still have lifting and plyos in my program, of course. You know, it's just trying yeah, to manage yeah, yeah. those those fine tuned collisions just a little bit better. And so, I have two questions regarding like collisions and jumps. And I would do uh, before I actually ask them. I I totally agree. Just given like as our layers of awareness expand, like I learn just how much it takes to set up an athletic collision, running and jumping off two legs, and one leg has one job, one leg has the other. Or it's one leg, or it's jumping in traffic, or it's to do it. It's there's there's a lot. This is a complex movement. There's more going on than just jump and hop along on two feet and then be really stiff and get yourself up in the air. There's more going on than just that. Those not to say there is you know some level of stiffness and rigidity that when you do have to lever transition, yes, that exists. But I do think about if we're going to play, learning is faster when we play. We learn better when we play. We expose ourselves to more moves. We're not judging ourselves when we're doing it. We don't have a coach judging us. Hopefully, we don't have a parent judging us. And like to, to actually build this base where we can be robust in sport, we have to play and do all, try all these different um, jumps and, and in context of having fun. And I, yeah, I think yeah. that's really important. Um, I, I, mean, I mean, that's what it should take from uh, like skateboarders. I mean, when you go to skateboard park, they do it and then they name it. You know what I'm saying? They do it and then they name it and then everybody says, "Well, I'm gonna try that now." But mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't come with the name first. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm gonna do this and that. Oh, that's what we're doing. I remember first time I said, "Can what's a can can?" I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, speaking of skateboard too, I was thinking about uh, Sheldon Dunlap was on the show. He's he was a strength coach at Davis back when we did it. He's moved on from that position now, but he was talking about um, like his skateboarding experience and after skateboarding or longboarding a lot, like his long jump, jumping off the leg that was pushing, I think was like really good. And I think about like, that's even a more complex plyometric than a hurdle hop because you have vertical and horizontal vectors and there's a cycle and it's a, I don't know. I just think that, but that stuff is so outside of the ordinary. We just don't consider it really, but like just get on a skateboard and start, you know, going around like, these are fun and kind of natural. I mean, skateboard isn't purely natural, but it's a natural kind of thing, you know. But also, too, that fits the definition again. I, 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 I'm going to have what? I just stretch some. I'm going to quickly stop. And I'm going to shorten it. It fits the definition. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's like them kids we watched at 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 Caesar Stadium. It was rolling up and down on the on the on the scooter. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just do 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 do. You know, but that once again, that skateboard. Activity fits the definition of a plyometric. Yeah. So why not do it? Why not do it? Yeah, because it doesn't look like training. And then, you know, if someone's paying <laughs> you to train them, they're like, what are you doing? So, <laughs> um, okay. Two, just quickly before our, our time runs out, um, I had a couple questions on the foot. So uh, maybe about 10 minutes left here. But one, um, getting to a class two lever in jumping. So that part of the collision, like when you transition from, you know, heels heels down, forces starting to flow towards the balls of the feet, you know, starting to tur- yeah. get to the ball of the foot as a fulcrum. Um, how does that play into managing the collision and how do we get that to happen at a, at, you know, the optimal rate, a faster rate? What are some principles there? Uh, well, that's, well, it's funny that, you know, one of those things with, with this is part of ground reaction force. And a lot of times people talk about, but I got to, I got to, I got to manage part of collisions, managing that ground reaction force at the foot, you know, because, I got what's going on in the body, but the foot's also still, still dealing with the ground itself, where everything above that is dealing with whatever it's dealing with. And and so and so as that happens, I have to switch to a class two because at class two, that's when the ankle gets locked up. When it, the ankle is, if it's locked up at the right time, and the ground decides to push me back, I'm in a position to take advantage of it. So so that's the whole thing about going from one to two. If you're in a one, and it starts to push you back, you're going to push back, and then you're going to do a toe raise. And that's the difference. Where am I going to push back against ground reaction and do a toe race, or am I going to let it push me forward? And that's why, even with, with a lot of these terms, you know, what I tell people is, you know, like I said, are you pushing the ground? Is the ground pushing you? And which one do you want? I, I love that. Um, I've been doing a lot of bounding recently, just kind of like, but but not for. Di- I used to do every bounding I used to do was always for distance. Count how many you. <laughs> get and all this and i I, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. already starting to reverse that direction a little bit i mean i'm 37 now it's like like come on i mean at some point you can't everything cannot be max and i have to kind of go right. back to being a kid again a little bit just play and have fun and just and even flanagan was on the show not too long ago and talked about how strength coaches just don't enough often enough look, think of rhythm and fluidity and plyometrics so i've been doing a lot of bounding and i've been thinking a lot about some of your concepts and one of the things that i've been doing a lot is bounding and like almost like just waiting to feel for when the ground gives back and then try to, <laughs> I love it that yes, we're on the same wave, like there's on the same brainwave. And then right when the ground, it's like, it's like a dance. You're trying to time that shift to the front of the foot right when the ground's ready to give back. And then it's effortless. It's like someone just sprung your ass forward and you didn't even have to try. Right. And, and we so don't that- think about plans like that. Yeah. I, I, I'm reading your brain from uh, across the country now. <laughs> No, but that would cracks me up when people talk about positions and shapes, you know, and, and you need to feel the position. And I'm thinking like, no, you need to feel when the ground's about to do something to you. And what are you going to do about it? That's, that's, and, and, and like you said, you know, and that's why we talk about getting out in front. You know, I want to get out in front. So when the ground gets ready to do something, I'm in a position to do something about it, you know? Uh, and the same thing, like, like, you know, some sprinters, I, I said, they get too vertical. And then when they pull their foot back, the foot actually reaches for the ground. Well, you're in a bad position now because you're actually reaching for the ground, you know. So that's not a good that's not a good thing because your foot can't feel it. It's reaching for it. And then when it feels it, go, okay, here it is. Now you slam it down and all of a sudden you're, you're in a bad position again. But yeah, no, that's the thing to me. Is it's like, can you feel and you can see if they go body, you can see this on video. You can see it on video when it's happening. So it's easy to watch and go, okay, now let's go do this at this point in time. But yeah, the biggest thing about that is yeah, can you feel when the ground's about to do something to you? And are you able to deal with it? 
I think I'm going to rename the podcast to that. I'll take it away from chewing as a pie metric and I'll rename it to feeling the ground, a daring bar and feeling when the ground's about to do something and then working yeah. with it. But I'm serious, like every great coach of movement I've met, it's it's all about reacting to, not pre-programming or pre-positioning. It's right. waiting, right. feeling, right. now react. It's like it's like you're boxing, but it's, you know, it's I get the ground to work with, but it's just the thing with movements, it happens so fast, you have to let yourself attune to it. And no one really does that. And not nobody, but it's not common. Like, and I feel like I wish it was more common. Well, part of it too is because they don't think you're fast enough when we are fast enough. We're fast enough to get the signal, feel it, and, and go with it. But the other part too is just like I just put out recently, I'm doing a start and I'm, I'm doing a start and I got my hands fixed in this position. Well, guess what my foot's doing? It's fixing that position too. So now when my foot is the ground, it's too stiff. And it's going to bounce me. The ground reaction will be too fast. So that's part of even with feet and, and everything like that is that arches will work, you know, but having arches work is not the same as having a stiff foot. Because then all of a sudden you're taking arches away because you're just going to hit the ground and back. Because the yeah. ground reaction is going to be too fast. It's going it's to bounce you so fast. It's crazy. So that's part of it. You know, watch the, the guy from Italy. I think he just jumped 28. 28 too. 28 stuff. Watch his feet, how they just, they just flop. And even when he's in the air, his feet is, and he comes out of the sand, hmm. his feet are still just flopping around. Because he, they, they didn't have no preset. Like I said, they weren't preset. So at that point in time, it's either able to really go ahead and let the body react to what's going on step by step. Yeah, I'll um, be sure to put that one in the show notes. But because I watched that guy running. I was like, this guy doesn't look that fast. Like, he's got to have something He was barely going running. He was yeah. barely running. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like that guy. Yeah, that guy is crazy. So we'll definitely put that on there. Um, anyways, I was going to ask you about the calcaneus. But, you know, what? I know you actually talked about that on Jake Tura's show recently. So I will just redirect anybody. If you want to hear about the calcaneus and movement, um, you know, head to that show with, on Jacked Athlete Podcast. Actually, I didn't even listen to it yet, but I know you talked about it there. So, um, well, we just touched upon it too. That's that's what what change what how to put transition from class one to class two. Calcaneus has to shift. Ah, yeah, uh, you know, I heard the same thing. Um, Angus uh, Bradley and I were talking about that. Like, and I've started to notice that people whose calcaneus just doesn't move, they can never get that like transition, and it's like I'm pounding yeah. my head in the wall trying to figure out how to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, the calcaneus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do a couple of things. Like I said, I got a, I got a, a foot workshop coming up. We're going to talk about how the calcaneus do two things. And, and if you calcaneus moves one way, your arms go a certain way. If you reverse the calcaneus, your arms actually reverse mm-hmm. directions too. It's an amazing thing. So that's something I'm going to talk about in the foot workshop is, is how the foot actually controls a lot of movement that people haven't even never thought about. Awesome. I'm sure that's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just little things that we'd never be aware of that make all the difference. So um, yeah. a- anyways, uh, our time's up for today, but man, what a great hour uh, talking to you, Darian. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, no problem, man. Appreciate it.